So we're going to talk about communion today on a level that um, uh, hopefully will make communion more real and something that will um, really touch your heart in a way from maybe not my words, but as you experience communion in the future. Um, part of my background <clears throat> for you, I was raised Roman Catholic. Um, my family and I attended Mass every week. We would either go on Saturday evening, which counts, for which counts, for Sunday. So that was the, the whisper heard around the church when you were at a funeral on a Saturday. Does this count? <laughs> that's, that's how good we were. I was baptized as an infant. I received my first confession and Holy Communion in the fourth grade. I told you second grade, it was fourth grade. Um, I received the Sacrament of Confirmation in the sixth grade. I left the Catholic Church in 1981, at which time I was 17. And I came to the saving knowledge of grace in 1983. So that's my background, and I was immersed in the Catholic Church. I went through every process, every sacrament, everything the right way. My parents were actually lay ministers in the Catholic Church. We took it very seriously. Um, not just not just the being Catholic, but the traditions of the Catholic Church were well ingrained in our family. My my dad is a first generation Italian, um, and I have no idea what my mother is. She's just a nice lady. I'm going to introduce you to a word if you're not already familiar with it. Oh, here it is. I kind of stopped at a wrong spot here. I'm yeah. <laughs> I think I spelled that properly. Transubstantiation. What transubstantiation means is this. So the definition in the Roman Catholic Church is the conversion of the substance of the Eucharistic elements, the bread and the juice or the wine, into the body and blood of Christ at the consecration. Okay, Consecration is when the, when the priest prays over it, goes through his process. At that point, the body and the blood of Christ is, is materialized. Okay? It's only the appearance of bread and wine that still remain. It's the appearance and the taste and the smell of bread and wine that remains. However, according to Catholic doctrine, that becomes the body and the blood of Christ. The consumption of the elements is, in fact, receiving Christ and therefore salvation is achieved on a continual basis. Um, much like CBC, in the Catholic Church, you have communion every week, okay? Um, the concepts of justification and sanctification were never addressed, okay? This is something that I learned far beyond the days that I left the Catholic Church. Yes, sir. 
Is the Eucharist in the Catholic Church part of like the penance process? So like suppose you go and confess, does the priest say, uh, you know, take communion no. and you're forgiven? No. It's never part of it. But it's in reverse. So if you have not confessed your sins, if you've not gone to confession for a period of time, you're not eligible to receive communion. Okay. But um, I was never given the, the penance of taking communion. Many, many Hail Marys, <clears throat> but not, not communion. Now, how does that differ from what we teach at CBC? Anyway. There's a long list. <laughs> all all Just the above. Hit the all highlights. The Let's start with transubstantiation. Okay. Well, I don't think that we hold that the uh, Eucharistic elements become physically the, the body of no. Christ. The elements, the, the cracker and the juice, do not mutate or transform in any way into the actual body and blood of Christ. Okay. We also don't believe that the saving grace comes through the process of, of taking care. Exactly. And it's not continual saving. It's not continual at all, no. We believe the polar opposite of that. However, we must point out that the sacrament of communion within our these four walls is much more than just going through the motions. Okay? And our body of believers is tuned into the fact that communion is a very necessary and important aspect of our faith. Okay? Um, now, throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, God actually uses food and drink at very pivotal moments throughout the history of the of the um, of the church, the, the church, capital C church. Okay, so I want to look at some of these instances. Um, I have my alarm set for ten minutes to ten. I think I did that properly. I'm just going to check because I've got a lot to cover here, and if I if I um, if something happens and I get off base, I'm going to skip to the end. Okay, so I don't want to I don't want to miss the end. So so I'm going to look at instances where food was used in pivotal moments throughout the Bible. Now, there's a reason for that, and we'll get to it. Please do not look up every scripture, scripture verse. I'm not going to quote them all. I'm going to cite several. I'm not going to cite them all. There's far too many, okay? So what I want to do is I want to go all the way back to the creation of mankind, okay? So at the creation of mankind... Genesis tells us that God created this, and he created that, and he created this, and he created man, and then he created woman, and then he said something to them. The very first thing that, that God said to Adam and Eve. Anybody know what it is without looking it up? They could eat of anything in the garden. Eat of anything in the garden, okay? You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, Genesis 2.16. This gave them, Adam and Eve, a comprehensive, hunger-satisfying, pleasure-giving menu to choose from. Okay? Not only did God provide a meal, 
Genesis also says that he walked with humanity. Okay, Genesis 3.8, in the garden, in the cool of the day. Humanity was created to enjoy a meal in the presence of God. Okay, now, the second, ask, the second example, the fall. Humanity, Adam and Eve, rejected God's love and rebelled against his instructions. Okay, Genesis 2.16 and 17, you may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die and something struck me when i read that particular translation it says for in that day it doesn't say on the day which is a different meaning in my mind i don't know if it strikes you that way or not but we are in the day of computers right okay so this is we're in that day. We're in the day of internet and um, COVID, but it's not a particular day. So what it does not say is on the moment you take that fruit, you will die. Obviously, we know that they did not lose their, their earthly bodies at that time. Now, this was yet another meal eating, the one of the forbidden fruit. That was the fall. So they had that meal. And let, let's define meal. Sticking something into your gullet, that's a meal, okay? And that's, I don't wanna get, I don't wanna talk about carbohydrates and protein and the breakdown of grains and whatever. So um, whenever we talk about, when I'm talking about meals, I'm talking in the sense of, hey, have a banana, okay? Um, the third one, this is very familiar to us. We celebrate at Easter the Passover. Okay, so the Israelites, they were slaves to Egypt, the Egyptians, um, and they were sinners who also deserved God's judgment. The Israelites were not the perfect people, okay? They, they deserved death and destruction just as much as the Israelites did, okay? God is no respecter of persons when it comes to sin. God provided a way not only to escape the judgment of God, but also to escape Egypt. And he did this with a meal, okay? Exodus 12, 12 through 13. Sacrifice a lamb, paint the blood above the door, and the judgment of God would pass over their family. Again, they were instructed to prepare a meal, and to celebrate this for future generations, okay? So God's wisdom was carried forward so that he said, I'm going to do this for you, and this is something that you're going to celebrate on a regular basis. Now, I didn't see anywhere where it said on a yearly basis, but we do it on a yearly basis. I mean, the, the Jewish people do Passover. Obviously, we're... We celebrate Easter. I get it. Don't don't start stoning me. Okay, the next one. So the Israelites flee Egypt. They're out in the desert. Okay? They don't have a farm with them. They didn't bring their farm with them. They didn't bring their crops with them. They needed something to eat. So God provided for them a daily, on a daily basis, 
as much manna as they could consume. Again, let's not quibble about what a meal is, because when God's people were in the desert, they complained and cried about the manna. Okay? They didn't like it. They wanted something else. They said, surely we can have a cheeseburger. But anyway. Um, so in this instance, God's grace was manifested in the form of manna to prove that God who it, it's it's God who truly satisfies our needs. So here they are out in the desert, they're walking around under the instruction of God, and He's providing for them. Okay? Next one. We've got two meals on the mountains. Okay? We talk about the first meal on the mountain. I like I like the way that floats off. You know, meal on the mountain. There's a meal on the mountain. So, as we know, God led his people to Mount Sinai. And Moses went up, and, you know, if you remember, Charlton Heston's hair got all blown back, you know, and he, it was great. And he came down, and he was a change. He was transformed because he was in the presence of God. And God, at that time, made a covenant with his people that he would be their God, and they became his people. Okay, a holy God and sinful humanity, the provision of sin was made by the blood sacrifice. Okay, so Moses was instructed to kill these lambs, take the blood, and the Bible says he threw it on the people, which is like pretty offensive to me. Yeah, it just putting it out there. Um, and then what happens? Moses and Aaron take a bunch of elders, which is really makes me happy because, you know, if we ever get to do this, I'll, I'll be going as an elder. He took them up to the mountain in the presence of God, and what did they do? They ate and they drank in the presence of God, okay? This is really coming into focus here, the eating and drinking in the presence of God, okay? Oh, that was Exodus 24, 9 through 11, for those that are keeping score. Then we have something called the bread of presence. Now, this is something that I, I learned as I was doing this study. Um, you know, I'm... I'm I've, I've never been accused of being a biblical scholar, but I like to learn stuff, okay? So I learned about this bread of presence. It caught my attention. So then after that, God told Moses to build a tabernacle on the mountain, okay? In the tabernacle was a table, a grand table made of gold. Now I immediately started to think, where'd they get the gold? I mean, gold's heavy, right? Have they, they been carrying around gold? I, that just, that just, I don't know. Did they have enough gold to make a table? They must have. So, I, maybe they pulled it all together. Huh. I'm sidetracking. So, in the tabernacle, tabernacle was a table made of gold. Guess what's on the table? A loaf of bread. Okay? And it was declared in Exodus 25, 30, that this was the bread of presence. 
meaning that this is God is present at this place. Okay? So when you were in the tabernacle and you were consuming the bread, you were in the presence of God. Again, meal in the presence of God. Okay, that was number six for those who are keeping track. Here's number seven. God's home. Okay? God's home, the promised land. Right? So, how is the promised land described over and over again? I couldn't even list how many times they, they, it's, it's, it, the, the references are. I got tired. I didn't, so I erased them all. Didn't list any. I love the delete button. What's that? Land of milk and honey. The land of milk and honey. Now, I don't like that phrase. I'm just going to be honest with you. It's weird to me. Okay? I just, honey and milk don't go together. I don't get it, but they did, and everyone else seems to, and I'm the odd man out. I'll just admit that. I just don't like the whole milk and honey thing. But it's over and over again in the Bible. Now, it's not lost on me that this is a spectacular place, okay? It was at that time, and during the high point of King Solomon's reign, not that time, but, or, but later on, God's people were described like this. Judah and Israel were as many as the sand by the sea. They ate and drank and were happy, okay? It's long before that annoying song came out. This was 1 Kings 4.20, okay? They ate and drank and were happy. Now, the next one is kind of a, is the, is the anti-villain of this scenario because there's really no meal, okay? But you're going to understand why, why it's in here. And this is number eight, God's judgment, okay? God's people at this time did not remain faithful to God. They were judged and exiled and famine plagued their land. All right? So Deuteronomy, I'm going to read this passage. Deuteronomy 28, 18, and then I skip to 38, 39. Cursed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground. The increase of your herds and the young of your flock. They're all cursed. The fruit of your ground, your cattle, your cattle's cattle, they're cursed. You shall carry much seed into the field and you shall gather little. So you're going to work, but you're not going to get anything because the, the locusts are going to consume it. You will plant vineyards and dress them, but you shall neither drink of the wine, nor gather the grapes, for the worm shall eat them. This is a priest of judgment. So, this is an example of no meal for you. Okay, There is no communion with God. There is no food to be had. This is because you were disobedient, and this is what you have deserved, what you have earned. Now, keep in mind that the goal of salvation is not food. Okay, but food in the presence of God. Okay, the ultimate punishment for these folks at the time was that they could not eat in the presence of God. Now, not everyone passed away because of the famine. Some people lived, but their food was never in the presence of God at that time. 
our second meal on the mountain. This is where I'm going to look at Isaiah. He promised a new future for God's people. Okay, So we had a situation where God's people fell out of favor, and now they're, they're going to be back in favor. And this is how Isaiah talks about it. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, a rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. Okay? So, you're not just going to get manna. You're going to get rich food. It says full of marrow. Okay? So, we're talking about, you know, asabuco coming up on the, on the menu tonight. A feast of well-aged wine. In fact, he repeats it, aged wine well-refined. So this is the good stuff. Continuing with Isaiah. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord God has spoken. I love that. Amen. For the Lord God has spoken. It's kind of like, you don't believe me? Here, let me just sock you in the face for a second. Boom. That's words of God right there. Okay? So, in other words, when I talk to my daughter, I tell her, do something, I have spoken. Okay. <laughs> this is a meal that's going to be prepared by God in the presence of God, it will be consumed. We will contribute absolutely nothing to this meal. This is not like, what can I bring? Oh, pick up a bag of chips on the way here. Nothing. You bring nothing to this meal. Okay? There's no charge. It is completely covered by grace. An ultimate meal in the presence of God. Okay? Now, let's we're gonna we're gonna transport into the New Testament. Sorry, I know you hate the whole New Testament thing. So Old Testament. New Testament. You're, you're, it's, a, it's a good point of reference. You're, 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 uh, you're a professor ripping out pages from the Bible. Okay? That's right. So Levi is a tax collector, and let me tell you something. I have to pay quarterly taxes, and I don't like it. So. I, I know that the whole thing about tax collectors is not the same as it was, but I don't like taxes. So I really can feel for Levi. When I was a kid, I didn't understand the whole tax collector thing. I do now. So, so he's having a party to honor Jesus. The religious leaders, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, are really upset about this. Okay? Do you know the difference between a Sadducee and a Pharisee? Pharisees believed in a resurrection. The Sadducees did not. They were sad, you see. <laughs> okay. The reason they were so upset is because the tax collectors worked for the Roman army, okay? The, the Roman Empire. And this was the army that was not only an enemy of the people of Israel, but they defiled God's land, okay? They were enemies of the people, and they were enemies of their God. Luke 7, 34, the Son of Man came eating and drinking, 
okay? There's a, there was a, 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 a commentator that made a comment about Luke's recollection of uh, the life of Christ, and there are very few instances where Jesus is not eating and drinking. He was eating with tax collectors, all right? The enemy of the people of God and of God by association. So what does Jesus, Jesus show us at that time by sitting down and having a meal with Levi, allowing Levi to honor him in the face of the leaders of the church of the time that God welcomes his enemies? Okay? Now, here's, here's something that you're going to go, oh, yeah, I knew about this one. The feeding of the 5,000. Of course you did, okay? This isn't, this isn't a, a nugget that was tucked away in the Bible somewhere. We all know about the story. Okay, Jesus is out preaching, uh, big crowd, it's late in the day, it's probably hot out, they probably, you know, are, are like, okay, we've had enough, you know. And the disciples come to Jesus and say, you need to, you know, cut it off. You know, it's, it's 11.45, Ryan. Okay. <laughs> Cut it off. <laughs> it's a, or it's so a you and journey. Okay, so he said, we need to let the people go home so they can eat. He, said, he says, wait a second, I got an idea. I got these five fish. I got these two loaves or two fish and five loaves, whatever it is. I just want to know fish. I don't eat fish. Okay, so what was I going to do in this situation? Just fill up on carbohydrates? I don't think so. You people need to lighten up. Okay. These are good. These you can't good read comments. too many carbs. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I'm getting my hair cut on Tuesday and it dawned on me today. Wouldn't it be great if I could say, hey, on Tuesday I'm losing 20 pounds? You know? It's like, we you can just we just go. <laughs> no, no. I mean, I, I mean a different uh, yeah. a different procedure, Ryan. Got it, got it. <laughs> you know, you just go plug in somewhere. It sucks the fat out of your body, and you move on. It's like, hey, you look better. I know. I lost twenty pounds yesterday. <laughs> anyway, what was <laughs> Jesus feeds everyone there. They all ate and were satisfied. Okay, this is a mystery to me. Because ever since I was little, I tried to imagine what was going on there. You know, what was happening on a supernatural level that food just kept coming out of this basket or the, you know, the fish just kept dividing or whatever. I don't know. So then that takes us to the grand meal of them all. Okay. And that is what we're here to really investigate, and that is the Last Supper. And contrary to the name the Last Supper, it is not, it was not the Last Supper. It was the first, okay? So what we know as the Last Supper, supper became the first communion. So Luke 21, 1 through 30, <coughs> this is what I'm pulling from, okay? This is what we enjoy every time we celebrate communion. Are you ready? A meal in the presence of God. That is what we celebrate as a 
body of believers and as an individual. So we, we Ryan preaches, Jeremy preaches, someone comes up, gets long-winded about communion, it's probably me, and then we hand out the communion, and then we have a meal in the presence of God. And we are to celebrate this meal, okay? I'm of the opinion, and you can correct me, those of higher knowledge, I'm not looking at you, Ryan, that God doesn't say at 11.45, go, shh, CBC is getting ready to break bread. Everybody quiet. Put on your mournful face. Get really serious. I don't think so at all. I think God meets us where we are. In fact, I think that's proven over and over again in the, in the scripture that we read. That there's a church down the street that is going to come out and do cartwheels and sing and shout and dance in the aisles and do all that kind of stuff, but we'd feel kind of uncomfortable. Let's say I did that this morning, okay? First of all, I'd be really shocked if I could do a cartwheel. But anyway, so... We, we, have our, we have our community of believers, and part of being in that community means basically knowing how to read the room, okay? So we're never in fear of, you know, Jeremy getting up and dancing around and swinging the microphone and stuff like that. Um, but we are in the presence of God, and this is to be celebrated. This is not something that we are just going to walk through. This is something that we are going to embrace and with the proper instruction, it is fitting for the body to regularly remember what was done for us and that we are washed clean by the blood and the broken body of Christ. Communion looks back at the Passover meal, okay? Passover told the story of redemption from slavery through the blood of the Lamb. Communion tells us the story of redemption from sin through the blood of Jesus. This is God's complete and permanent solution for sin. All who come are cleansed by his blood and welcomed to his banquet. We are all invited to eat in the presence of God. Now there are some footnotes in here. I think it's important to point out that when we say all who come are people who have heard, understood, and have accepted the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Then you get into some gray areas. Well, what about if, you know, that guy over there just held up a bank and he's got the money in his car and he goes to take, no, he probably shouldn't take communion, okay? But, you know, I'm giving you a, a big, broad example. But we are invited to eat in the presence of God. Okay. I'm going to skip to the end here. So communion, as a sacrament, is a sign. Okay. A sign can be looked at as a, as a visible marker that... While that marker is significant in itself, it points to something else. This is what communion does, okay? Um, I, I 
I got this. I'm gonna. I'm gonna sound really intelligent here. Augustine. Augustine. <laughs> Augustine <laughs> referred to the sacraments as visible words. I don't care how to pronounce his name. He's he's that's long the, gone. That's the joke. It's either way. Hey, listen. Can you pronounce my name properly? No, you can't. Leave me alone. Okay. <laughs> God has provided for us a visible, tangible sign. Okay. One we can truly grasp, remember, and have confirmation of his promise, okay? Visible signs of, an, of invisible grace. This is so that we can be assured and strengthened in our relationship with a holy God. Let's look at wedding rings, okay? So, two people decide to get married. They go before a uh, officiant. They exchange rings, Okay? Battering. What if I take it off? There, no longer married. No, that's not the way it works. If I go to the store and I'm not married and I find a ring and I put it on, that doesn't make me married. Okay? This is the same way communion has a deeper meaning than just eating the bread and drinking the wine. We are there to be in the presence of God and with each other and remember what he has done for us. This is, this is critical in our thinking. From the beginning of the Bible, God has shown us that his desire is to have dinner with us, to eat a meal in his presence. Hmm. Communion. It's, we celebrate. I can't say that enough. In fact, I had a cup made. No, it's, it's my company, sorry. Um, God's great redemptive event in the new covenant. We're to celebrate this. Luke twenty-two nineteen. this is my body, which is given for you. Matthew 26, 28, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood poured out, over men, poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. 1 Corinthians 11.26, For as often as you eat this bread... Oh, I'm right on time. I'm so happy with that. As, as long as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. And communion is something that we use all of our senses. Okay? We touch it. We smell it. Well, some of you do. I don't. You can drink it. You can taste it. And we hear. We hear Ryan. We hear Jeremy talk about the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And that is what we celebrate with communion. We take all those things together. This makes Christ's sacrifice ultimately an extremely personal application to our lives Christ didn't die for mankind he died for me Nick as much as that curl some people's toes he did and I want to celebrate that and I just might jump around this morning I'm doing communion I'm just But, all that to say that my 
my deepest desire for this for this time this morning is that we can enter into communion in a new light and a refreshed light in a way that maybe has opened up a little crack in the scripture that you haven't seen before. Um, I know this study for me has been has been eye opening. I hope I was able to convey most of that to you guys. Um, Thank you for closing that. You know, I was a theater major and an open door is a no-no, so. Can't have an open door on a stage. Did you know that? No. Oh, come on. Just kidding. So. I look right every time I close the youth door. That's another thing. I don't have anything else to talk about. Um, I, I covered it all quicker than I thought I would, which I'm glad about, because I had you know, eight pages of notes here, so. Um, does anyone have any questions, or does anyone want to like just respond to something that I said, or call me a liar, or tell me I need to read the Bible closer? Yes, ma'am. I grew up as a Muslim. You grew up as a Catholic, and as a Muslim, we believe in Jesus as a child, a virgin child, but they don't believe that he died on a cross. They say God took him. He wouldn't let himself in. But no, I believe he died. That was his mission to come and die and raise on the third day. But as a Muslim, because I love the Father, we worship the Father. And we love Jesus too as a prophet. That this is when I grew up. So when I came here, still I would go to church because I knew you worshiping the Father. And I went to the Baptist church, really. And uh, I even went to Catholic, but mostly I went to Baptist. And uh, each time they would be just as I am, and they would ask me to go. This was in 1972, 73. And I said no, because I didn't believe that, that he died on the cross. But each time they did the communion, I would eat that. Because I said, that's from God. That's the meal from the God. And I think that communion that I take, even I didn't know, I didn't believe that it did, it did birth the spirit of the Lord within me and led me to grow because I was hated and I did it with thanksgiving. That, oh, that's from God. I didn't think of it, it's just a communion. I said, that's something from God. And my mother, when came here, I would take her to church, she was a still Muslim. Each time they pass a communion, she wanted it. Because we think we would have think it was the father giving that meal to us, and and I think that affected her too. Because she said, "Ashraf, I tell Jesus, Ashraf loves you." I said, "Mom, he loves you too." And he, she stopped praying to Jesus, but not as son of God. Jesus, son of Mary. <laughs> That's what she. Because you grow up like that is hard to you know betray. But she believes in it, and she start. And I always, I think, because that, we took it, that bread is the Lamb of God, change us. We didn't change ourselves. He did it within us. Through just believing that bread is coming from God. And when Jesus came, he said, this is the bread of God that came from God. And when you look at the, the Bible, he said, I came from God. Uh, and that man or the Moses gave it them back, the real bread from the father. So, and then so, sometimes when I go to churches, most of them, all of them, they say, if you ch uh, check your heart, 
if it's not hot enough to eat it. I don't know. Uh, and I say, when the Bible in the book of Proverbs says, whoever is hungry, come and take and drink. And then uh, for their wedding, when nobody comes to their wedding, God tell the servant, go tell everyone to come. But only one person didn't have the right clothes. Uh, but and I think because I believe God is so, uh, Jesus is so powerful, different all the authority, that word of love that they take it, even if they are seven, without them knowing it, God going to do the miracle and change it. I, I believe something happens on some kind of spiritual level, and I don't know how to explain it. Um, I'm not qualified to even talk about it, but just echoing what uh, well, I, she's saying. I think you you already did, because actually what stuck out to me this morning was the reminder that God is present in communion. And I think as um, our Christianity, I'll speak for our, for this church that is that is heavily intellectual, we we miss the. Um, the spiritual presence of God at times, and communion can be an intellectual pursuit. And, um, I mean, it is the, the fact that communion is the Son of God came and took on flesh and gave himself to us, and what we celebrate in communion is God giving himself to us, and yet he, so it's a picture of his body being given to us, and yet he is there. And it's fascinating that you even use the, um, the, illustration of, of the church down the street that might be a little more charismatic than us well what is that church that the the charismatic churches have it have an eye towards the spirit and have an eye towards honestly the presence of god that we can learn from not to say that i'm going to do a cartwheel in the pulpit today but they have this eye for god is with us and even i can miss the fact that like in taking communion jesus is with us no, not in the body not in his blood and body in the in the in the elements but in the room that's functionally there saying as as a group of people taking this together there is this reminder that he is spiritually there just as much there as god is any other time reminding us that one time what in a future day we're going to be eating a meal together and see him be face to face whatever that's going to be and it's not just going to be our body taking communion together but his entire body right i mean it's going to be one heck of a long table there and we're going to be breaking bread and eating, physically eating, in the presence of Christ. Um, so, to to your point, I mean, it is that as as taking communion, it stands out opposed to any other religion because Christ is the only person who, the only God, because well, He is the only God, but you know, the, the only religion that teaches that our God came, took on flesh, and died for us, and then gave Himself to us. Everyone else is we're giving we're giving to them, and uh, yet Christianity is. He gave to us, and we can give nothing to him because we can give nothing to him that, that he can actually offer and that's, that's any good. You know, one of the things that was really interesting, and um, I'll close right after this, um, with this transubstantiation, I circle back around to this, um, in the Catholic Church during Mass, when the priest consecrates the host and the, and the wine, that has to be consumed. It can't, you can't just stick it in the bag for next week. Okay, it, you, and so the kids can't go in the back of the kitchen and drink it all up. That's not gonna be used. So they have a host. They have a host that's like this big. Okay, that they use for like display. 
that needs to be consumed. And then all the rest of the hosts that they prepared for that, you know, uh, that Sunday, if, if it's, you know, 12 o'clock mass and they're gone, that priest has to, you know, has to get busy. And, and then, you know, doesn't want But let me pray and then we can go and... Um, okay, let me just one oh, yes. When you said, said Jesus broke, broke the body, this is the way I thank God so much. I said, Jesus, you broke your body to me and my sinner, put me inside you to make me whole in you, and with your blood wash me, make me blameless to present me to the Father, mm-hmm. holy and blameless. This is her up picture. Mm-hmm. He's breaking down his body to put us in. Now he in, in me and I'm in him and we are in the Father. Mm-hmm. So we are always with him, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. That's what excites me about that communion and remember, oh, he did that when he broke his body to put me in it, to make me whole. Otherwise, I wouldn't be anyway whole, but I have to be in him to be whole. And so he wanted to present me to the Father, holy and blameless. That's okay. Okay, I'll, I'll pray for you while we, while we go here. Uh, thank you, Father, that you've given us time to come together and learn more about you and uh, your word. And uh, I ask that you bless our time this morning in, in uh, the worship service. I ask you to be with the worship team. And um, please be with Ryan this morning as he comes and delivers your message. Uh, and uh, again, we thank you for the time. We praise you. And uh, that's it. Amen.